everybody, and welcome to the Energetic Principles Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa LaFera, an astrologer, tarot consultant, all-around creative from sunny San Diego, California. And this is the 122nd episode of the podcast, airing November 1st, 2021. Now, in this episode, I'm pleased to present to you my discussion with two special guests. We have Spencer Michaud and Shu Yap, who have joined me on the podcast before, but they are now joining me together as a group to dissect the upcoming Venus retrograde in Capricorn transit. So the three of us team up to dive into this major 40-day planetary movement, which will be a highlight of December and January. First in the podcast, we unravel Venus as an archetype, a few of her key myths and what we get when we add a layer of Capricorn over the goddess of love and balance. Her stationing on Pluto is a key component to this cycle, and we go over in depth what it means for her underworld meeting with both Hades and the nature of her retrograde cycle itself. And there is a lot to unpack here, so get ready for two hours of full-on Venus, from her role in our personal lives to that of the collective, and all the aspects that are triggered along the way. Because 2021 does go out with a bang, and we have a feeling she is going to be playing quite the role in it all. We do hope you enjoy our musings. Now, a fabulous way to show appreciation for this podcast and my astrological efforts is by making a one-time donation over at Mel's Tip Jar or by booking a personal consultation with yours truly, all of which can be done through my site over at energeticprinciples.com. And just a few quick announcements before we get started here. Just a reminder, I do have my monthly newsletter, The Heavenly Wind, that has just hit the mailboxes as I am uh, recording this for you now uh, for November 2021. And so if that is something you are interested in getting, because it has a lot of information in it, it has the transits for the entire month. It has summaries of all the movements of the Sun, Mercury, Venus, and Mars. It has uh, tarot cards. It has animal ambassador. You know, it just full of chocked full of goodness. So if that is something you want to have come to your inbox to refer to throughout the month, you can sign up for my mailing list, which you can do so in the description of this podcast. Or if you go to my website at energeticprinciples.com, of course, there's going to be a lovely pop-up that just poof pops up and allows you to uh, sign up. Now, just another quick note is just a reminder, Spencer Michaud is part of this podcast, and you're going to remember just how brilliant this man is. He is hosting a Fall Deccans webinar series that he has already done the Libra version of uh, last month in October, but he has Scorpio coming up on November 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern. And so he has a webinar titled Integrative Divination, the Deccans of Scorpio, which is going to be two and a half hours long talking about the decans of Scorpio, the diamonds associated with it, how the tarot fits into it all and fixed stars and all these juicy, juicy components of Scorpio that you can take into your own understandings of the sign or use them in consultation space. Now, if you uh, want to partake in all of the fall offerings, because he is going to be doing Sagittarius too, he does have a fall bundle for $125 
$45, or you can get just the webinar for Scorpio or any one of the webinars for $45. Now, of course, if you use my special code EP20, you're going to get 20% off of either option. So, hey, you know, why not? And I can vouch that the Libra uh, webinar was fantastic and chocked full of information. So to sign up for that and access the code EP20, you can click on the link in the description of this podcast. And of course, I will have it in a blog for this episode as well. All right. So who is ready to hear all about the upcoming Venus retrograde in Capricorn cycle? Here we go. Now let's meet our guests. All right. I am so happy to welcome two guests to the program. What a rare occasion we have here. I have Shu Yap with me and Spencer Michaud. Thanks for joining me, Shu and Spencer. Good to see you all. Yeah. Thank you, friends. Yeah. It's, um, you're lucky we hit record because we, uh, have just been talking for an hour (laughs) with ourselves Uh, (laughs) because, you know, there's a lot, a lot of things that can be said when three astrologers are getting in the zoom room. Um, but, uh, I'm excited to host, uh, a, a little mini panel, I guess we could say, uh, for the topic of Venus retrograde in Capricorn. Cause this is, this is big news coming. It's not here yet, but we're going to start to feel it because when this episode comes out, I think I'm going to be airing November 1st. You'll know when you hear it. Um, but Venus will be moving into Capricorn where she is going to be for quite some time. And so we're going to unpack her Venus retrograde journey that will encompass basically November, December, January, actually in kind of the first beginning of uh, 2022. So before we get started here, if you are a listener to the podcast, you probably have uh, heard both Spencer and Shu on before because they have been guests of mine, but I guess I'll start uh, with Shu first. Will you tell the listener, just in case they haven't heard of you, who you are uh, and and uh, who and what, where you are? Tell the people. Okay. Tell the folks. <laughs> All right. I'm Shu. I'm an astrologer from Central Victoria, which is at the southern part of Australia. Um, I have a client practice for natal chart analysis and forecasting and astrological coaching and teaching. And my practice is very much, you know, inspired by the hermetic philosophy and classical techniques and engaging the symbolic mind. So and um, when I'm not looking at the stars, I'm growing food, I'm planting trees and looking after my bees and my kids on my farm. So that's that's a nutshell version of me. <laughs> that's a nice nutshell. I'm like, sometimes I'm like, oh, shoe over there in her farm and the nature with the bees. My name means honeybee. So I'm like, I just oh, want to, I want to be there. I, the, pun intended, I suppose. <laughs> um <laughs> Come on over. So come on over. Yeah. What, what's the term, shoe with the, uh, not the, not loafer. What is, what is <laughs> woofer, the woofer. A woofer, a woofer. When you go work on the farm, basically. Uh, look, you, um, you can be as an exalted guest in my house. That's fine. You know, you don't have to. I don't have to do woof. menial tasks for me. <laughs> well, my Saturn in Virgo would do it. Um, but <laughs> so yes, oh, well, gosh. I'm so glad to have Shu back on the program. And Spencer, of course, I just uh, joined Spencer on his podcast. If you caught us for the new moon in Libra, we did a epic episode together. Um, but just in case, Spencer, tell the folks, remind them who you are. Yeah, I'm a, a professional astrologer from Ypsilanti, Michigan. And I do, um, I do readings, I do classes and webinars and things of that nature. 
And I have these live streams that I do on on YouTube, on my YouTube channel, Spencer Michelle Astrology. And I've had Melissa and Shu as guests on there. I usually do them at the new and the full moon, as well as a monthly um, forecast. Uh, so you can check, check me out there. Um, yeah, and I, <laughs> I don't have a farm. I wish I did, and I'm a little bit jealous. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I, in my spare time, I take walks in the woods. <laughs> 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 it's like a dating. It's perfect with Venus retro. It's a dating app. We're like, what do we? We We're like to the dating game, right? Here, so. <laughs> <laughs> I like uh, crystals. <laughs> I like cats. So oh mostly, God. if you if you follow me on Instagram at Spencer Michelle, you'll you'll see mostly announcements of my live streams and stuff. But then you'll see pictures of mushrooms that I've collected in the woods and my cats doing weird stuff. So. <laughs> So those are my it. things right now in my hermit hermit life that I, have I love here. it. Uh, well, somehow I've attracted two 12th house sons here to talk to me, which is interesting um, here. Uh, but I have a feeling we're all going to end up on Shoes Farm one day. And maybe, uh, maybe, just maybe, I'm like, were you looking to create a commune, Shoe? Because uh... Yes, actually, that came up today with another astrologer who's a herbalist and we always chat herbal stuff and they're like, we want to come with you. I'm like, yes, I'm setting up my still and, you know, we're just going to have absence, do astrology and start a cult, you know. I do have Jupiter on the midheaven, so that's not out of the question. I'm <laughs> so, in. I'm in. <laughs> next Astro Conference, maybe. We'll have we got to be nice to Shu, though, or she's going to give us uh, composting toilet cleaning duty. <laughs> oh, that is not. <laughs> oh, there's much worse than that. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> that's not even the worst of the woofing. Exactly. Um, <laughs> Well, it's kind of perfect now. Well, thinking about shoes chart and having Uranus there down at the bottom on your land zone, why not start an astrologer's commune? <laughs> I love it. I love it. So, well, that that being said, um, we have so much to talk about here today uh, with Venus going retrograde in Capricorn. It's kind of a, it's 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 big news for a lot of different reasons. I remember. Um, uh, oh my gosh, why, why did my brain go blank? Uh, Gray and I were talking about it. Gray Crawford and I were talking about it at the beginning of the year during our uh 2021 year ahead program. And you know, we there was so much to share for 2021, and it's like this and that and the other thing, and then all of a sudden we get to the end, and it's like, well, the end, the end of the year has Venus going retrograde and Capricorn on Pluto, and we're like, oh, you know. <laughs> <laughs> and it's going to carry us into 2022. So we kind of left it. We kept it, we left it a little open-ended as to what Venus retrograde might bring. Um, so just to kind of recap, or not recap, but cap, what when this is going to happen, we actually have Venus who is going to go into Capricorn on November 5th, right? Do I have that? Is that when she enters Capricorn there? Pretty sure. Um, and yes. Then she is going to make her her way over to 25 degrees Capricorn, where she will station retrograde near uh, one of all of our favorite planets, Pluto. <laughs> um, and she will go on her her 40 day journey uh, of going retrograde through the sign of Capricorn um, until she stations direct on January 29th of 2022 at around 11 degrees of Capricorn. And then I did, why did I write down when she leaves? Does anybody have that when she leaves into Aquarius? That's early March, right? I believe. 
because that is when I'm like testing you guys. Do you have all the facts in front of you? I've got, I've got the chart up. So that will be on the 6th of March. The and six- I've set it for New York time too. So it's, you know, New York time. <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Yeah. So we have quite some, uh, we have quite some time with Venus uh, in Capricorn. And so that's what basically what we're going to talk about here today is a little bit about Venus, a little bit about our cycle, but mostly about this retrograde and Venus and Capricorn and what we might see there. So let's start with, uh, who is this Venus character? Who, who is she? Who is she to the both of you? Um, anybody want to, who wants to jump in there first? Tell me who is Venus to you? Um, I'm happy to start. I mean, I've just got a list of, um, Keywords here, you know, we understand her as love and beauty, uh, fertility, as well as like feminine power. I think that often gets overlooked, like how powerful Venus can be, but it's that sort of power that is about attraction and magnetizing, uh, as opposed to that Mars kind of power, which is about pursuing and going out for the hunt. Um, so Venus also is about creativity and the arts and um, desire is also a big Venus word, um, which then brings in all the um, things like sex and sexual attraction, things like that. Um, but overall, I guess women is ruled by Venus um, and the power to manifest, I think, the people and the things that you want in life. Mm. That's where that power comes in, I think. Yeah. Spencer, yeah. what do you, uh, what, what's Venus? So she does so many things. I'm <laughs> yeah, she does. Uh, definitely a receptive quality. Um, Venus is part of the, the lunar sect. So all of the lunar sect planets, the moon, Venus, Mars, um, I, they tend to be, uh, I think that they're receiving things like, like the moon would uh, in relationship to 2K or fortune. So I, I see Venus as a planet where you are re- receiving a gift. Um, now we can talk about the different phases, the morning star versus evening star, as far as you know, pursuit of those good things versus receiving them. Um, but I think in general, I look when I look at a chart, I will see like you know wh- what kind of good fortune do you get uh, for not really doing anything, you know, just for having it come to you because. You know, Venus to me is also, I think of the Aphrodite myth. We'll talk about Inanna, but we'll also talk about Aphrodite, where she emerged from the, the, the ocean glowing like a phosphorescent jellyfish. And she was adorned by the uh, little cherubs, like was given all these beautiful things. And she didn't have to do anything to get them. She just had to be her own like inner glowing, beautiful mm. self. Um, so I think that, you know, I like to think of Jupiter as the, the good fortune that we receive through actions that we take and honor, we get honor and merit through that. But Venus is more about, about, you know, opening up to receive, I think on some level. Yeah. One other thing I'd add with that too, is Venus was also responsible or Aphrodite as a, as a goddess um, was responsible for the purity of the Greek theater or the Greek dramas. So I do think there's some significations of catharsis uh, associated with Venus as well, like ritual and cleanliness and things like that. Um, So like a purification type of experience with Venus as well. Yeah, I I could, yeah, definitely see that with, um, because 
I feel like with purification um, and and healing modalities, there's a reception receptiveness that has to come kind of into the vessel and to, you know, kind of clear, clear it out. Right. And Venus being a planet that is like the ultimate receiver, you mm. know, she, she picks up, she takes in. And I love how you brought up the idea of Jupiter being the good things that we go after versus Venus kind of being the good things that just come to us because mm. Jupiter being that day planet and kind of aligning with, you know, fire and air signs and its triplicity where it, it's outward reaching where Venus, she is more of this watery earthy gal, which is the, the form that calls in. Um, and, uh, I always think about like where you have Venus in your chart. Well, where you have Venus in your chart, but mostly the houses that are ruled by Venus. And it's like, what, what houses do you have ruled for Venus by Venus? And what are like kind of the good things that come to you, just come to you through that, you know? Um, cause I've always noticed that, like I have sev- a seventh house ruled by Venus. And I've been very fortunate with partners that tend to, uh, give me nice things or come mm. from families that have money. You know, it's a Taurus ruled house, <laughs> you know, things along those lines where I don't come from that, but I just happen to attract partners, um, and any type of partner that just kind of, you know, I, I, I really benefit by just mm. being myself. I'm like, I'm like, thank you, God. Thank you. Whoever set that up. I appreciate it. No. <laughs> <laughs> Venus brings things together too. It's, it's, you know, Schmidt would say it would unify things that, yes. that have been apart. So it's kind of like that magnetizing force, you know, think about this too, like in, in Taurus, your example with the Taurus chart um, or the Taurus house, you know, you, ha- you can see it being a lunar Venus type of sign where you're bringing together the spirit that you separated the individual point of consciousness from the collective after the Aries Mars sign. And then you're bringing together that consciousness with the body in Taurus. And that's mm. the unification type of thing. Mm. And you have a little bit of a different vibe with, um, you know, Libra, the Libra ruled sign uh, with Venus, um, with Saturn, the combination with Saturn being more about social type of uh, unification. Like what do we agree upon as far as the the rules or the structures, Saturnian social graces? What are we going to, what's going to bring us together as a community rather than as like an individual body? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah. Oh, and I think that's one of the things, I don't know if we said it in all that we've listed so far about her, her role, her role as a social planet. Um, mm-hmm. And I know Spencer, you mentioned connectivity and she brought up like women's women being, you know, the role of the woman and women's rights. And I think that is going to be a hot button issue that is going to come up during this retrograde for sure. Um, but just the social dynamic uh, and her about to go retrograde in a social sign too, you know, cause once we get to Capricorn and Aquarius and, and Pisces and all these, you know, more collective based signs, we see, uh, her personalized issues represented it represented in the, the culture as a whole. Um, and how do we come together on that? The unification per, you know, purpose. Um, and what is, cause we are in a whole, rebirthing of societal connection, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shift. And, and I keep thinking about the fact that Venus rules copper as well. And copper mm. is the metal that's used in electrical wise to, to connect and conduct the electricity. So it has yeah. that kind of role of like joining and merging. And she's also of a cool and moist nature. So, you know, 
the coolness sort of brings this more subdued yin quality to Venus, but the moisture brings a binding element to it. You know, if you think of dry sand, it just falls apart. But as soon as you add water, add some moisture, the sand forms into a shape in your hands. Um, so that's what the, the temperament of Venus, that's what she does. She combines and joins and unifies in a very passive way. I love, I like this woman. Uh, <laughs> 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 she, she does so much. She does some nice things here. Um, are, are either one away? Or I think Spencer, we're both day charts, right? Mm-hmm. We're all day charts here. Day okay. Charts. So we're day not, because that's if you know, if you think about sect, uh, Venus for unite babies out there, she's, she's that little gift giver. We get, we get her gifts too. Um, but we, uh, we get those Jupiter gifts a little bit more, but, um, it just came to mind. Well, for especially reason. you, Melissa, you get those Jupiter gifts. Did you get- very- <laughs> Very well, we've heard. <laughs> who, who has told you this? <laughs> I have heard if you have a day sect Venus, sometimes you bring benefits in the house that you that that Venus is in. Potentially, sometimes at your own expense, though. If oh. it's you know, so something to meditate on. Potentially, I've seen this. So that's out Venus in, in a day chart. Did you say Venus day in a day chart? chart? Where where ah. you could be bringing a lot of benefit to that particular house or area of life but it may feel like a somewhat of a burden sometimes to you personally in your, your experience of it. Hmm. Well, mine yeah, is the, just... uh, my Venus is in the ninth house of broadcasting. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you do give a lot through your work with the podcast. So that really does fit. 11th house Venus here. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, funny. I'm all selfish. I'm a first house Venus. So I, mm. I bring it all to myself and feel Feel bad about it, maybe? No, 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 no. Well, I love having Shu on the program to join us because, well, not only is she uh, proven over time, she's shaking her head. She's doing her 12th house son here, but I'm not going to let her. Um, You know, she has been bringing a lot of fantastic Venusian content to the people. I mean, that's actually, that's how I was introduced to you, Shu, during the... uh, um, the summit that we did earlier this year and you did a presentation that was fabulous on Venus. And uh, she's also got Venus retrograde in her chart. So I'm thinking <laughs> if someone knows a little bit about Venus retrograde, it may be Shu. Um, so, and I'm in a, like you, I'm in a Venus perfection year. Oh, that's so, right. Yeah. And in fact, that was the motivation behind teaching Venus because Venus rules my ninth house. So it was a way for me to, I guess, honor and do Venusian things this year as a, I guess, living magically kind of lifestyle, trying to, you know, honor the planet in that way. So, so yeah, I think I've just given a webinar yesterday. So I think that probably will be the last Venus webinar. She's about to, she's about to be laid to rest as she goes, uh, (laughs) she goes retrograde here. Um, But, you know, that makes me wonder for those of you, when we're talking about like having a a planet ruler, in case you're newer to astrology or aren't aware of perfections, we each have, we have a planet each year that serves as our time Lord. And so they kind of get elevated status and we pay attention to what they're doing because they bring an overall flavor to our, our lives with that archetype. Um, but it makes me, I have, do you have any insights with your Venus year shoe? Like just any things that you've, I mean, obviously you've learned so much about Venus, uh, with what you've been able to teach other people, but like just kind of being embodied by her as a time Lord. 
Yeah, what I've really, really learned this year personally is sort of um, extension of what uh, Spencer was saying about the cleanliness thing, but more at the soul level, like mm. being able to clear trauma, um, to to clear your your essence, just being to rest the mind, rest the body, and just being in the self and letting letting things come to you, whether it's downloads, whether it's you know your intentions. Um, it's just dropping into that soul being. And you know, one of our friends, Chartreuse, um, I started working with her to, this year as well, and um, she's really good with that sort of stuff. You know, and. I never quite understood what she was on about like before my Venus perfection year, but coming into my Venus perfection year and just doing some of this work, like lots of meditation, lots of just stilling the mind, you know, not identifying with narratives and traumas and drama and just allowing yourself to receive what it is that's in alignment. Um, And, yeah, just watching Chartreuse has really taught me a lot about that too because she does that really well I think uh there's yeah so so that's my big Venus lesson this year Mm. and that's yeah that's definitely the deeper priestess level of Venus the power the feminine power you know it's not reacting not not jumping on anything just sometimes the best thing you can do is just not do and Mm. meditate (laughs) yeah so uh, absolutely. And I, I mean, that is a lesson I have to learn over and over again as a Mars ruled person um, mm-hmm. is that when you desire something and you want to call in something, you cannot chase it because the thing that you desire, if it is being chased, it's just going to get further and further away from your view. <laughs> you know, you're going to be grasping into thin air, trying to, uh, to bring back that word manifest that you brought up earlier, because you have to you know, if it, if it is, is as cliche as it sounds, it's absolutely true. If it is meant to be, you just sort of sit back within reason. Of course, we can't just like sit back and just be like, Oh, everything in the world will come to us, you know, but, Mm. but realize when there's a difference between chasing desire versus holding space for it and allowing the magnetic pole of the Venusian energy to then begin to line up things like synchronicity. Like I feel like Venus is very uh, synchronistic in that respect where, you know, a like thing will attract another like thing. And then that magnetized pole comes together and it's just met in some sort of divine timing of sorts, which may, Mm -hmm. when I think about divine timing, I'm thinking about Capricorn and her there. I wonder how much divine timing is going to take place um, with this cycle. (laughs) Yeah, well, and and the idea of abundance as well, like not in terms of just money, but um, being in that um, mindset of abundance that there is enough to go around, that there is uh, infinite, like that when you can tap into this level of being, it's an infinite level of um, resources that are available to you and all the right people that are in alignment with you or the things or the situations will fall into your lap and those that aren't will just fall away and 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 the uh, the whole lesson is to not react to those it's just to let it be so that was my big lesson this year you know this is a great meditation for scorpio season too that we're like mm-hmm. getting started with because it, it's it is a mars ruled sign like a pure mars you know there's no other exaltation ruler and mm-hmm. it, it really is about that desire and pursuing that desire 
And you can think about if we bring it back to Venus, it's opposite Taurus, which is, you know, it's just like, oh, I'm just satisfied. I'm satiated. I'm just, just hanging out, just going to have some snacks and, and let it, <laughs> let it come to me. Right. And so, so I think that that really gives us a, a really interesting paradox to, to see, you know, just in this moment, I mean, not necessarily just for the, the retrograde, but, but when we're dealing with Venus and Capricorn and trying to go through Scorpio season, and then eventually we'll go through the, you know, Sagittarius and Capricorn and all those things, but um, bringing it back to the the receptive quality of, of Taurus mm. and, and of that, I think is really, I think it's interesting to to think about that paradox nature. Yeah. Mm. Well, we'll definitely be thinking about it when uh, Mars a few days before <laughs> Venus moves into Capricorn, Mars moves into Scorpio, uh, basically go. when this podcast comes out. And so uh, that will be a strong Mars. And I think just to, uh, I, I was kind of noticing as I was following the chart um, about one of the very intriguing things to me about this upcoming retrograde, because when we do talk about Venus, we think about Mars too, right? They're kind of an iconic pair to one another, uh, the receptive versus the, you know, the going after the chasing principle. Um, but it kind of, the setup is fascinating to me because it kind of reminds me of 2020 a little bit. If you pull back the Venus Mars cycle of 2020, uh, there was all these like missed connections, basically. Like it was only hard aspects. It took them forever to like make an aspect. They did this like dance of a, of a sextile for a long time, but never made it. And then it eventually was a square. And that's the interesting thing about the lead up to this particular Venus retrograde um, is that for a long time, like much of November and December, Venus and Mars are going to be in a near miss sextile with one another, like almost, you know, down to a degree of separation, but they never quite make it. It's the um, same, same thing, isn't it? As, yeah. as that previous one, that, that, I believe that's called reformation. Is that correct? Mm, you're a, off you're telling me. <laughs> yeah, so reformation is when, like, like you're saying, when they, they're almost making an aspect, but they keep like chasing each other. And then, but they net the aspect never perfects, and that it's really difficult to like bring something to fruition when you have that kind of quality. So that maybe just like we're doing all the work and we're chasing something, but never quite materializes. Especially frustrated, maybe. Yeah, there you go. Right. <laughs> well, for, yeah. perhaps, perhaps. Yeah. Um, but um, but there is a there is logic behind that because um, and now I don't know enough about this, but I am doing some research into it now, the Venus-Mars synodic cycle. Um, it's a 32-year synodic cycle, and we started one in July this year. Um, I've, actually, I've read an article about the 32-year cycle of this um, and how it applies to Jung's chart. And um, the thing about this uh, synodic, this beginning of the synodic cycle is that Venus can, Mars is always direct when it's making that sacred union. Um, and it kind of shows that direct masculine nature of pursuing, mm. whereas Venus can either be direct or retrograde um, and when she makes that sort of connection. Now, the thing is she makes that conjunction in July, um, but because Venus goes retrograde at the moment, she's going to go back and they're going to make another two more conjunctions. So that's kind of considered to be three conjunctions for the beginning of this synod, which lasts for 32 years. So this is in itself a big story. You know when planets go back and forth and they make the three conjunctions? Mm -hmm. 
like we have with, um, say, Venus and Pluto about to make that conjunction three times. Well, this is on a bigger scale with two planets and the beginning of its synodic cycle making three conjunctions. So that's why it doesn't quite make the sextile mm-hmm. because it's got three more conjunctions or two more conjunctions to make. Gets yeah. very technical. It does get very. <laughs> yeah, but it, it's it's essentially a big story. Venus and Mars are um, starting a big cycle at the moment. We're in the midst of that. Yeah. We're in the midst of a big 32-year beginning of a synod that's, that the, ended the last one, which was in 1989. So if that tells you anything about like <laughs> some changing, the, compl- uh, the complicated changing dynamics and uh, relationships and the society and all the things that we're talking about with Venusian energy and also Mar- Martian energy. Um, mm-hmm. And it's interesting to think of, to see this near miss sextile being uh danced in between conjunctions versus kind of having that same thing in 2020, not within the larger scope of the 32 year cycle, but watching that near miss of the sextile and then it being met with hard aspects only afterwards with a square and then an opposition. Um, So it's kind of like a different type of coming together where there's not the same harshness to me that makes the end. It's more of like, oh, well, what's Mm -hmm. fusing for a longer and possibly Mm -hmm. a lot of the harshness that came in 2020 that had to go through those is part of this bigger story that is yeah. winding further down. I know Gary Payton did an article about um, the Venus-Mars cycle and these three conjunctions are starting uh, a different a different long-term cycle that started in 2015, basically, that is going to start a new. So there's another different cycle that he refers to within, you know, a yes. longer there's cycles within exactly. cycles. Cycles within cycles. Within cycles. <laughs> yeah. cycles. Um, that's why I call myself into cycle, but yes. you know, there you go. Perfect. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, so it's kind of basically in a nutshell saying that whatever was started, that sacred union that was started in July, um, it needs to be revisited because it's like, it didn't uh, like it, it, it needs more work to start this cycle and that work is coming in is it march or february and march february and march yeah yeah Yeah. so the venus mars conjunction was in july of this year of 2021 yes that's right so it makes three conjunctions as the beginning of this whole new 32 year sign which was important for you spencer because i know it was important for me because it was right on my midheaven and i i know that your ascendant is near there uh i think we have yeah so go go check that one out because uh i'm pretty sure it's integral to your chart um side note uh yes um (laughs) But I feel that I feel that I feel these like in strong new beginnings coming with just unions and society. And I, I could feel it coming. I feel it started. I see it in my own life, but there are all these kinks that do still need to be worked out. And so mm-hmm. it explains a lot for um, just some of the back and forth that, it, you know, is going to have to be done. And, and Venus, as we'll get into is going to station on Pluto. So we already brought up the purification process with Venus as an archetype to begin with, but add Pluto on top of that. And we're really cleaning out the gutters of Venus, you know, like she is going to be plugging the toilet. She is going to be crispy. She's going to be out the compost toilet. There you That's go. Right. She you is go. whooping. Oh, she's whooping all over the place. This, uh, you can come over and dig me out a new hall with your That's right. right. <laughs> 
That's funny. <laughs> well, that being said, I mean, there's plenty of myths and stories to share about Venus. And I know, I, Spencer, I know you got a good one up your sleeve or something you'd like to share about Venus uh, and a story of hers, Mr. Storyteller. I mean, yeah, I, I think, you know, I, I just think of the Pluto conjunction as, you know, I like to think of Pluto as the, I, I've always said that I think of it as the clogged toilet and the plunger and some kind of corruption that happens. And, you know, we do have the the, the myth of Inanna, but I'm going to let Shu tell that one because she, she's the Inanna expert. What I will say about Pluto though, or Hades, is that Hades uh, erupts out of the underworld quite often to like steal something away, you know, and this is where I think we get some of those metaphors with this volcanic Pluto energy where it's like something's bubbling up from that's been repressed for a long time. If we think about it you know, in a psychological way, because Hades would literally just like, you know, the, the ground would split and he'd go kidnap somebody. Right. <laughs> so it's yeah. very violent. It was sometimes it was very unexpected. But I think when we bring the Pluto part into it, something has has been pushed down underneath the surface that is going to surface that needs to be dealt with. And I generally think of it as some corruption. And, and, and it's, you know, I think Pluto, I've heard Sam Reynolds talk about this, that Pluto and Venus actually sort of have some things in common. If you think about the, the traditional way of thinking of Venus, uh, as far as purification goes and far as like cleansing, because we think of, you know, um, Pluto as transformation and, uh, or, or at least, you know, modern psychological astrology would think of it in that way. And I think that, you know, thinking about the story of Inanna and Ereshkigal, you're going to see that there's a transformative, you know, underworld quality with that story as well. Um, and maybe it's, maybe it is Venus meeting, or maybe we could think of Pluto as Ereshkigal too, on some level, but I'm going to toss that one to shoot. I'm going to throw that. <laughs> you catch that ball. <laughs> I'm going to toss that one over to you because I've spent all day and like the last few days absorbing your wonderful webinars on Venus and the Inanna story. And you've got me all these new source books that I've, you know, trying to get through, um, but really great stuff. So take it away. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Well, Inanna. I mean, we, we all know, most of us know the general story of Inanna making her de descent to the underworld. But I guess what I um, was really exploring was overlaying it onto the Venus cycle, which, um, you know, it, it has been um, translated before. The School of Shamanic Myst Astrology Mystery School have done a lot of work around this uh, and some other astrologers around. Um, and the idea is that Inanna received, came into a whole lot of power, which we saw as the Imperial Conjunction, which instigated this whole um, decision to go to the underworld to see her sister, which they all knew that if, if you go into the underworld, no souls would ever come back out. So one of the gifts that she had was this power to ascend. So she went in there with a bit of insurance policy to being be able to come back out. And she goes through and she, a whole process of having to let go of a lot of her power. Um, she gets there and she's killed and hung on a meat hook, but then is resurrected. Uh, and then she makes her ascension back up. Now, the interesting thing that I think is the retrograde part of this story is that she comes back out and uh, knowing with this heavy burden in her heart that she has to send someone in her replacement. So while she is allowed to leave the underworld, 
the judges of the underworld say, well, you know, you have to send a replacement because nobody actually leaves the underworld uh, alive. So I think this retrograde part of the cycle is her reviewing everything that's happened in her life, all the relationships, who has done right by her, et cetera. Mm. And she just decides to send her husband to replace her. And then there's this whole other story that ensues with the husband and his sister um, alternating uh, time in the underworld and that kind of like suggests the whole seasonal, you know, creation of the seasonal um, symbology there. So, um, so to me, the part of the myth of the retrograde is uh, Inanna making this really heavy decision, having to review everything that's happened, um, having to confront a lot of things that might not have been very conscious to her because she has to look at the truth. Um, and I think that's what we do in a Venus retrograde um, period. Mm. I want to add something to that too, because one thing that stuck out to me when you were telling the Inanna story in your webinar was the the concept of the mourners that were sent to to retrieve uh, Inanna in the, in the underworld. And I thought that that was a really poignant point for the Venus-Pluto uh, conjunction potentially um, that, you know, part, part of that story is that the, you know, Inanna said, if I don't return, send these, these mourners after me to come get me with the, the medicine of the, the 60 to 90 drops, as you were saying, which represented the, the um, hidden phase of Venus, correct? Right. That she yes. At the, the superior conjunction. Okay. At, yeah. At the superior conjunction. Oh, so we're side. at the different part of it now though. Yeah. We're at this, the short underworld phase, which is only eight to 14 days. Yeah, but I did. I do like the idea of holding space for trauma and holding mm-hmm. space for us. Like Reshkigal was said to be in pain and suffering, and the way that they retrieved Inanna was through just holding space for Reshkigal and being. They didn't have to do anything. They they just were present for her pain and mourned along with her. And and then after that, she was you know granted. They were granted any wish that they had. And they were like, see that body over there? <laughs> that's that's our mm. that's our our lady. Let's let's have that body back. Um, but yeah, I think totally. that, that that's something else to think about, as especially when we think about Venus as a receptive planet, is mm. sometimes when we're faced with deep underworld plutonic themes, we don't necessarily have to do anything about it. We just have to to like receive it and have show compassion and empathy. And I think that that could be something that to really keep in mind as we, whatever the challenges we're going to face during this retrograde cycle, that may be the, really the best um, remedy, I guess, is sitting with it. That's right. Being passive, uh, receiving, not reacting. Because if you think about it, it's only when we react that these dramas form. You know, we may react with angry words or like, you know, gestures and things like that. And that's when the trouble starts. That's Mars. That's a Mars way of dealing with it. But we're dealing with it in a Venus way. The Mars. The Mars just uh, always has to get its, how to get its way in as day babies. Yeah. I don't know about you. Mars always finds its way in and stirs up the pot, stirs the trouble. But if we just receive it, you know, I love the idea of like, how something had to go in her 
you know, to replace her because that's what, that's what death is. Death, but that's not even what death is. That's what birth is. Because when we talk about Pluto, we also get the regenerative quality, the renewal that comes with it, the idea of birth. Um, and with birth, there's always death. There's it's, it's, something ends, you know, when a new baby comes into this world, you know, the lives of the parents totally change. Um, it's like something's given up when we get a, a, a new job or we have a, you know, we leave the old one behind or we get a new romance and we leave the solo life or vice versa. We, we lose a romance, but we gain this new independence. And so there always is this replacement, um, through some sort of uh, boundary or constriction, which is really Saturn, to, Saturnian to me, right? You know, like you can't have this all, like something has to go with it in order for the replacement, in order for the actual gift of Venus that we're actually holding space for. You know, we have to go through the the de- the death process in order. It's almost like we have to go through the death process in order to actually retrieve whatever gift this yes. whole... You know. It's like the whole idea of fertility and um, composting and management of resources, you know, that there is, you know, an infinite amount, but it all just shifts in shape and form um, as we move through the cycle, or as we move through life. So, well, you know, Anne Ortley had a really eloquent way of talking about this too, is, is the you know, sort of the the transformation, if you want to go down that path with the, the the caterpillar to the butterfly, like literally a caterpillar has to completely like melt into this goo and all of its like cells are completely changing into something else. And it doesn't know that it's going to be a butterfly. It's just, it goes through that dying process, right? And, in, in, you know, away from the world underground in that cocoon, in that shell, and then eventually it emerges, you know, as this new form, but it, but it has to like completely disintegrate before it, 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 it's able to become that new mm. thing that can take flight, like, like the soul potentially, right? Mm. Liberation so of the soul That's a spirit. really great, yeah, that's a really great uh, analogy. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. That there is, yeah, that necessary that necessary death or like if you were born at the, the very last phases of Venus as you're going into the setting phase, you know, these people, like they know they have to go through something. They're attracted to these people that aren't right for them. Uh, but somehow it's like it's a necessary a process they have to endure. Not, not in your case, Spencer. <laughs> well, that was something that, that we were talking about earlier because I, I actually had started reviewing some of my journals about Venus retrograde periods in my own life. And I, I had one particular, actually a couple of experiences like that. But during one previous Venus retrograde, I, I was very enamored with a, a, a person that wasn't super right for me. Like it was just the opposite of everything that would have made me happy. Um, but it was still very seductive for some reason. So um, it's the kind of thing where if you get involved during that period of time, when maybe when Venus goes direct, you're like, what am I, what was I thinking? Yeah. <laughs> and maybe this is the, the ancient sort of uh, the meaning of reversals yeah. uh, that might be involved here. It's the, um, the back and forth, the, or the delays in, mm-hmm. a, in a development as well. Yeah. 
Well, in the delay, well, and it's interesting about delays because one of the, I was like, well, what story do I want to bring up? And I'm like, I know we got our, our classics with Aphrodite and, and, and Nana. And, and you know, what came to my mind was, uh, the skeleton woman, the, um, from, uh, the fantastic book, uh, well, I'm sure it's other places than this, but women who run with wolves by Clarissa Pinkola, Pinkola Estes, um, which is a classic, uh, Every woman should re- read this book, just FYI. And man, you know, or whatever you identify. Everybody should read this book, actually, is what I'm saying. Um, yeah. But have you heard of Skeleton Woman? I've heard of it, but I'm not familiar with it. Yeah. <laughs> you know this yeah. bag of bones? Um, <laughs> well, it's it's basically, it actually starts off with the um, the... The chapter is called Hunting. When the heart is a lonely hunter, skeleton woman facing the life, death, life, nature of love. And that's what I love about this story is that um, I'm actually just going to read a quick paragraph from the book because I'm she can do it way better justice than I can. But she says... This story is an apt metaphor for the problem of modern love, the fear of the life, death, love, nature, the death aspect in particular. In much of Western culture, the original character of the death nature has been covered over by various dogma and doctrines until it is split off from what from its other half, which is life. We have erroneously been trained to accept the broken form of one of the most profound and basic aspects of wild nature. We have been taught that death is always followed by more death. It is simply not so. Death is always in the process of incubating new life, even when one's existence has been cut down to the bones. Very Capricorn. Mm, so but, beautiful. And she's basically saying is that the, you know, when you, because many of us out there are in long-term relationships or you've been with someone for a very long time. Um, and that is just the nature of the cycle of relationships is that it, it ones that are successful and the ones that grow and are the ones that transform and they have to go through these dips that are the rebirth that are the plutonian moments of the life death life cycle um and whenever i get to these kind of lulls or pitfalls in my own relationship i come back to skeleton woman uh who is skeleton what you know he's basically a fisherman he thinks he's got the fish of his life he like rolls up the the you know the rod and he's just got this bag of bones that basically follows him home um and uh then she ends up crying on him she becomes a beautiful woman like there's a whole thing but you know read the story but the idea yeah. is is that you know like the death quality is so important to the rebirth of every relationship. And so many people fear death and they feel the darkness that you have to go through, especially with another person or fear facing your own darkness that comes through relating because right. You know, we always get the projection back from other people and our most profound transformations in life tend to happen when we are faced with something outside of us. So it just, skeleton woman comes up to me. It's like, you know, if you got to go through something with any relationship in your life or your relationship to yourself within the world, because it could be a, a very generalized within a larger scheme of societal structure is that embrace the death of this, because like we were just talking about, you know, there is that rebirth on the other side and to have that strengthening of connection and unity and the completion and the healing and the purification we keep talking about, we have to engage with the Plutonian cycle, basically. Yeah. And, and I love that, how that it uh, really speaks to the infinite quality of cycles, that there is no limit, there is no endings, that 
you know, death is just that gateway to a, another stage. And I think when Venus uh, just being in Capricorn, I know even though Saturn is limits, but it shows the longevity of her essence that, yes. you know, even once grounded, once being in the earth, that there is this perpetual um, instinct to just continually spin and evolve and, and keep on making that five-petaled rosette. <laughs> yeah, and you know, relationships will be an interesting playground for this uh, energy to to play out. And I think that, you know, just meditating on both of your thoughts on that, like long-term relationships have to go through many deaths and rebirths if you want to stay together and unified and magnified and committed because we're not stagnant people. Beings, we're always right. growing as people. And can you grow together and still find ways to connect as you evolve from caterpillar to butterfly, from caterpillar to butterfly over and over and over again, or shed your skin like a snake would or whatever other, um, you know, natural symbol we want to apply to it. Right. So, mm. so this is true in any marriage. It's in true in business partnerships. It's true in any kind of relationship is they, they need to go through renewals at different phases. And our, the, the fact of the matter is, is that sometimes our taste changes as well. Our aesthetic mm. changes, yes. what we love, what we like changes. And th these could be periods of time where we're we really reviewing and like bringing them up to say, what do we really love now? Like what, who are we what now? What do we value? What do yes. we value? What, what do we value now versus are we just chasing an old form and keeping something alive that is already past? Because that's when the suffering really comes in, right? Yes, when you're trying an to keep old an projection. Old, exactly. A proje mm -hmm. projection. That's a great word for it. And yeah. it doesn't mean that I don't think anybody should run out and be like, oh no, my marriage is going to end <laughs> during the Venus retrograde. But you <laughs> but you might have some work to do. And that's okay yeah. because you know, you think about I just did a deep dive on Libra. And they, they talked about the combination of Saturn and Venus. And there was a lot of things about oaths and contracts. And when you make a marriage contract, yes, you have to come together and make these agreements. But then when you move from the second decan of Libra to the third, it's all about the adjustments, the micro adjustments that you have to make to, to maintain balance and e equilibrium. It's not always going to be equal or fair or things like yeah. that. And, yeah. and, and, you know, it, it's... um. It's natural to go through these things. And I think that, again, grace is something that I associate with Venus as well. And if you give yourself grace to explore like the, who you are now in the present versus the past, while also simultaneously giving your partner space or grace to be able to explore what they are, you know, experiencing and see where you meet, you know, I, I think mm. that that's a, it's a natural type of experience. Yeah. To Actually, just before you spoke it, I was thinking of that episode that um, Melissa and Spencer, you two, did together on the, you know, the astrology, that full moon. Was it the full moon or the new moon? The new Libra. moon, Libra, yeah. Yeah. You know, I think the relationship stuff was really cracked open there and Venus is sign. And yeah. this retrograde period is yeah. the cleaning up the mess of all that to really get behind the deeper issues of everything that was cracked open in Libra season. Uh, and to come back to your truth about that. Well, well, well Melissa, you can you can add to this because it was not a normal 
Libra season because Mars was like super prominent in that yes. <laughs> that new moon and everything, right? We talked about yeah. that. Like, oh, it's an yeah. open contract, but it's a Mars one that's going to be like, <laughs> like taking a machete to some of them. I know. I'll just add for all the listeners, um, you have to listen to this episode. This really inspired me, this episode. You two just did such a great job uh, pulling apart that um that new moon and it was so inspiring inspiring to listen to and so on point so kudos to you too well thank you Shu. we appreciate (laughs) your your kind words um and there was that's a beautiful thing about these like old forecast episodes too is we we share so much it's like you can listen to it anytime it's like yeah it's the new moon at that point but like there's just so much shared. But I think one of the things with Libra season too, is the fact that we get a lot of precursor into our Plutonian work with uh, Mercury having stationed in a square to Pluto um, too, because, you know, Mercury, all, all of those really close planets to the sun, you know, those inferior planets, Mercury and Venus, they, they share, they share space you know, within so many degrees from our, our solar entity. And, and the, uh, Mercury is going to meet the both Venus and Pluto um, at the end of the year in succession within like a couple days of each other, because basically they're going to be conjunct in their, I think their second conjunction there. And so I feel like Plutonian work was coming up to then transfer over to the Venusian side, right? You know, we perceive things and we have to relate to it or open up. And I love the bringing up of values because we hadn't said that in our rundown of Venus too. And I, I definitely look at her as a value planet and aesthetic planet is because, you know, when we, when our values change about life, every, everything and how we relate to it changes or it starts to just get really mucky, really just not the existence we want to live. And usually when we pull back and we're like, why is life just, why has the the luster of life lost itself? Right. Because Venus gives us luster. She says, she gives us beauty. She gives us, you know, we wake up in the morning, the birds are chirping, you know, they're all like, we're like Venus. Um, but when we're not aligned with our value system, um, in how we live our lives, how we interact with others, the relationships that we keep, et cetera, it gets a little murky out there. Um, and I think this is a very powerful time to reconnect with that. And we might've started with that with Mercury kind of picking up Venus terror or, you know, what Venus is going to go through because all those Libra planets were deferring to Venus in a detriment position in Scorpio. So, you mm. know, we're getting, we're getting some juice to work with our new start too, because that's another thing we haven't really said with Capricorn energy is, is this is cardinal energy. So something's mm-hmm. pivoting something. This is a, a starting, um, to some extent. And th- does anybody have any thoughts on kind of like cardinal, the cardinal energy that is, is brought forward with this? Um, you, you know, just going back to like the dignity part of it, Venus will have triplicity dignity yes. in in Capricorn. I think one point that we haven't touched on with the, the, the card cardinal nature, but that this is a Venus that's in Saturn's house. Yes. And that's really (laughs) important because Saturn's in a really strong position right now in its own preferred domicile of, of Aquarius. And even though Venus will be in aversion to Saturn, they don't witness each other from sign. There is a Hellenistic doctrine called like engirding, 
where when a planet is in a sign that is ruled by the same planet and then the planets in you know like because because you've got aquarius and capricorn yeah in aversion yeah. there's still a, a secret line of communication between them so mm -hmm. uh, that martin hermes had a really great way of talking about the planet in the sign is the 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 potter and the planet that is giving significations as host is the clay so we've got really like strong clay that we're working with and we've got but we've got a potter that's going to be like Hmm, what do I do with this clay of Saturn? And, and, and really, what is Saturn bringing us? Saturn is bringing us structure. Saturn's bringing us the skeletal system. You know, it says, what is, how we, are we going to use power? How are we going to use resources? How are we going to organize our life? How are we going to, it, Venus is going to be like, what, how are we bringing together maybe people that have been in exile? So if you think about it in like a political way, it could be like, we're trying to unify those that have been cast out because that's what Saturn does. It casts, casts things out into the fringe and the, you know, and, um, I, I, and maybe with Venus going retrograde, that may be a little bit more difficult. We may realize there's a problem because we, we know that Pluto is bringing it to our attention, but it may be difficult to harmonize like the, the I don't know, the structures of our life that support the people that have been cast out. Does, does that make sense? Abs I, yeah, a hundred percent. Because I mean, if we look at the news, if we, if we're aware of what's going on all over the world, you know, we look at, um, we look at post well, we're not, I don't want to say post pandemic life. Maybe that's just wishful mm -hmm. thinking, <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. Um, but we're trying to sort that out socially. We're trying to sort that out with jobs, with labor, with, um, mandates, you know, we, we have things coming up that are coming from sources of, of government, uh, and, and corporation. And these are very much, uh, aligned with Saturnian things, Capricorn things, and there is becoming a very big rift between uh, what we will accept from a, a larger power uh, to, you know, basically create confines and rules that we all have to live by. Um, but where does freedom take place there? Who, uh, you know, who's being exiled at, at a cost? Exactly. Um, you know, scapegoat energy too, because that's a Capricorn quality. Um, and we realize that like socially, a lot of people are being scapegoated as well. And we're trying to figure our way out through this because we want to have some sort of societal structure uh, take place because, you know, people want to get back to business, which we all know as astrologers, that's not going to fully happen. There's, we're, we're headed to a place that has still some shaking up to do. And we have to accept, uh, some, some new energy coming through. Um, but I think this is going to be a big part of it. That's going to take place. I mean, even things like, uh, here, I, I know this is not just in the U S but I know it's prominent in the U S is having supply chain issues. Um, and this, you know, Venus is going to go retrograde on the 19th. 19th of December. Uh, and that is, I believe she even conjuncts Pluto like on Christmas. And so they're saying, buy your gifts now, because chances <laughs> are you're not going to get anything in the mail, you know, by, cause all the, uh, come. <laughs> yeah, the Santa is not showing up this Santa's year because Santa is stuck in the Harbor <laughs> with all the ships that are on the coast of California right now. Um, well, Santa's taking the long convoluted scenic route. <laughs> 
into the underworld. <laughs> it is, it's the nightmare before Christmas. Yeah, that's right. Oh, no. oh. Oh, gosh. Oh, that's funny. Oh, as we record this right before Halloween. Right. Oh. Well, the thing is, last Christmas we had a really like awful Mars Pluto conjunction, I think. So I think this year might be a slight improvement in terms of Christmas being <laughs> Venus Pluto, but still um, it is, yeah, it is the identification of the forgotten people or like pulling at the strings of our deepest core emotions of like very core principles like freedom or values and our rights and things mm. like that you know because it's all mixed in with that Saturn Uranus square as well which happened yes uh was it was it the next day uh boxing day no the day before Christmas well and dis- oh, distribution right? of resources too because you know here in the states where there's a huge argument about new funding for infrastructure Saturn things that we're dealing with. So Venus and Saturn, that's money and structure. Exactly. And and we we, we, um, kick the can down the road for a government, a potential government shutdown if we didn't get the budget approved by a certain period of time. And that deadline is actually the eclipse that's happening on uh, December (laughs) the 4th. So, I mean, if we don't get something worked out at that point, um, there's a real potential of a government shutdown and de- defaulting on the the loans that America has to other countries, which would be an enormous problem for for financial the markets world. for the yes. whole world, for the entire world. It would throw things into utter chaos. So yeah. that's something else to keep in mind because third decade of Capricorn, where it's retrograding, has to do with const- you know administration of power. Like it, it is the most like to me, it's the most this is the government like Deccan and how we, mm-hmm. you know, organize power structures. It's a, it's a, it's a solar Deccan in a, in a Saturn ruled sign. So, so, so the sun being, you know, power um, and Saturn being like all these structures. And I don't know. I, I, I think that, that we're definitely seeing um, some challenges where we, we are having to deal with issues that we haven't, that we've repressed for a long time. You see the wealth gap increasing significantly. And like one of the arguments in the news this week was there are senators that that want to tax the billionaires to pay for the infrastructure bills. And then there's these like people that are basically in the bought in by the corporate interest. They're like, no, we can't tax the billionaires. You know, we can, we, we can't possibly do that. You know, so, so that you can see that there is this, you know, this, uh, this plutonic, power grab type of thing that we're experiencing that has to be reconciled with, or we're not going to be able to function as a community that the needs of the very few right now have started to take precedent over the many. And that is, that is a problem that will lead to a reevaluation of how we distribute resources, how we create value, how we distribute value and all of those things. And I think those could be themes that we will see activated as well. Yeah. It, it could get ugly. I mean, Venus yeah. in a retrograde phase, it's like there's no more adornments. Like this right. is the raw, primal, what you see is what, like this is the deep, like what I really feel. I'm not just going to say something Sober. diplomatic. Yeah. 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 Well, 
And especially when she's, you know, dancing with, with Pluto there. And, um, and if we look back, you know, cause all we have to do is look back at, let's look back at her history with when she is retrograde. And the last time she was retrograde in Gemini, we had the riots, uh, over, you know, with, uh, George Floyd and his death and people were taking to the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, it, you know, it's Gemini. So it's very, it's much more message based and, and, you know, out there with the word and, yeah. and spreading it versus is Capricorn. Um, but I, I think, you know, like we are getting to the point where there's a lot of people walking out on their jobs because of mandate situations. Uh, we're having a lot of just shortage of, of people being able to work. We're having people realize that after, you know, having certain government stimuluses throughout the pandemic life, they were getting paid more with Mm -hmm. stimulus money than they were working their job. And they're like, hold on, you think we are worth this much? But near now you're telling us to go back to like a half of what you were giving us. Like there's there's a dis, mm-hmm. uh, there's just disparity. I don't know if that's a word. Is that a word mm-hmm. between uh, <laughs> between all of this and all this information is adding up, right? And so mm-hmm. we get to, as uh, Shu pointed out, the very potent uh, Saturn Uranus square that is going to happen on December 23rd at the Mm. same time, just days after Venus goes retrograde. And we have to look at the chain of, a, you know, because Uranus over there in Taurus is looking to Venus. So Uranus Mm. has Venus Pluto energy behind it, but they're all on the team of Saturn, right? Because all that whole pile up in Capricorn is looking to Saturn and Aquarius. So there's a lot of heavy, it all comes down to that Saturnian Aquarian energy. Um, I mean, thoughts on, cause I, this is big. This is big. It's to me. big. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look at the last two Saturn Uranus square, um, I guess I, I've got more of an Australian centric view on this, but there were big things happening from a very macro level, like big blackouts, um, natural disasters. You know, we've had more earthquakes this year than we've ever had, you know, um, like things happening at that very broad structure macro level. And um, this is the last of the square for this year, although they still stay in all very much uh, for all of next year. So it almost feels like a little bit of a climax and resolution at the same time. And this cardinal energy of Venus, uh, you know, in, in Capricorn, I think is slightly, it's going to bring about action. Um, whereas the last retrograde being in a mutable sign, we were just all talking about it. There's (laughs) media issues, um, the truth issues, you know, we were kind of in flux, but I think after that whole cycle, uh, Venus has come back to retrograde again and and saying, right, we need to make some action now. And this is the last Saturn Uranus where we're going to be hit with something and we're going to have to take action and it's going to be at all costs. Well, and, you know, think about Venus representing the sacred feminine on some level, moving into a Saturn ruled sign, a a planet of limitation. You know, another theme that's coming down the pike in America is is women's reproductive rights. Yes. And like the battle over that. And the Supreme Court's going to have to take up those cases because there's been lots of movement with that to, to try to take away those rights in the states. And also the voting rights, I think, is something that, that is really important here in America that maybe, you know, the preservation of our democracy. And we're seeing, you know, a lot of 
movement towards trying to make voting very difficult in the United States. And that could be a representation of Pluto in the third decan of Capricorn, like the, the corruption in the government structure. Um, so I see all of those issues playing out with Saturn and Uranus. And then just like you said, Mel, like coming to the fore with Venus being that host of Uranus and saying, okay, this is, these are the significations that Uranus is saying, lightning bolt, like we're shocking you out of this old, you know, trying to bring something new, trying to bring a new rhythm, trying to bring a new experience. But the old guard Saturn is, is, uh, the way that I experienced Saturn in Aquarius, and this is another book that Shu turned me on to, is The Tiny Universe uh, by Joy Usher. And they talk about Saturn in Aquarius as trying to control the narrative, like the, the thought police, basically, mm. and saying, mm. and like they said, the, the, the glass ceiling and says, you can't do this, but it's an idea. It's not necessarily something real. We're just going to make you so afraid of doing this that you're not going to think about doing it. And I, I think that Saturn is really trying to control the narrative, whether you are conservative or uh, liberal. I think you have, you're, you're seeing it in both forms as far as like That's what hard. they will allow to be said. You have like cancel culture in a more liberal type of way. And then you have the the whole like critical race theory argument where they don't want to have that taught in schools. It's trying to control both narratives. Mm. You see that from both sides yes. of, the, of the coin. Um, and, and that's what's so been sad. the problem. I think that's what's been the problem uh, of this last Venus cycle and all this sort of Gemini Sag stuff is that there are too many narratives. Yes. And anyone can go and start a blog, right. start a YouTube channel and be the media. And that's mm. part of the problem of where we're at right now. We don't know what to believe. And Hopefully by that last eclipse in Sagittarius just before Venus goes retrograde, that hopefully ends that a little bit and we can come to some grounded maybe choices. You know what? I'm like looking at the chart and, I'm, and what you're saying, Shu, and to me it's like there needs to be some order. Like mm -hmm. that's the thing. is like there is so much chaos out there, especially with, you know, Gemini Sag energy, like you were saying, all, all the narratives, everything that's being thrown at us, the, the, each side, you know, coming at each other and each side coming at each other, but all sides from all sides, you know, like every side is covered by someone and someone has something mm. to say. And, and when you're in like a cacophony, <laughs> the cacophony <laughs> of, of, of voices and opinions and, and thoughts and narratives, it is deafening. And you can't and anxiety do anxiety riddle. Mm -hmm. And so you can't do anything that is productive. Uh, the order of, you know, you know, structure that, cause we all need structure in our lives. Like structure serves, a, my Capricorn moon is talking mm -hmm. right now. Structure serves an, uh, a, a necessity for society to have enough form to know how to live in, how to grow, how to, uh, you know, evolve. Because if you have all these options and all these thoughts and all these things at your disposal, it's just too much. Um, and so it's almost like society needs some strong structure, how that's going to go. I don't know. Cause we've got a strong Saturn and what you were just saying, Spencer raises some questions well, in my mind. <laughs> can I add something to Please. that Mel? Cause you bring up a great point, both of you about the, the endless possibilities of the North node in Gemini of this increase of like all these directions. Here's what Saturn wants to do. And I learned this from Liz Green in her book, the luminaries, which is a really a great book. Um, she talks about 
Saturn's role as castrating, because you remember in the myth yes. of Saturn, he castrates uh, his father and Uranus, right? So there, Saturn is castrating future possibilities into mm. form. Do you see what I'm saying? Mm. By concretizing something into form and making it real, you are eliminating the other possibilities. Yes. So Saturn, it needs to give us some kind of like, you know, you can't pursue every single direction. This is what the direction we need to go as a society, as a world, as a community, so that we can continue to survive on the planet. I mean, to me, that's, it's that big right now. It's that mm -hmm. like macrocosm, mm -hmm. you know, if we're talking yes. about America versus Australia, we're, we're all on fire. So I think that yes. we, we have to do like things to, to help all of each other. And that's sort of what Saturn is sort of saying too, is, Hey, it's time for you to mature and realize that the actions that you take as an individual, as a city, as a community, as a state, as a country, as, an, as a world, have, affect each other. And it's not that you're just your own individual actions only affect yourself. And this is the argument that I get about the personal freedom versus communal responsibility. Well, Saturn's loudly saying, you have to have communal responsibility right now, or you will be harming your community. And I think this is something we're gonna have to struggle and wrestle with moving forward because that can be taken to extremes as well. And we have to find the point of equilibrium. We have to find the point of balance between that, about being individual points of consciousness and light and still doing the very necessary work of taking responsibility like Saturn wants for our brothers and sisters. And I think Venus and Capricorn will do its darndest to, to try and bring that beauty to this new form or, or, you know, it's that merging of that beauty and form kind of idea. Um, you know, thinking of it being a moist planet in a dry sign, it's going to bring perhaps um, hopefully, I guess, through an underworld process, through a con confrontational process, hopefully allow people to connect again or to find unity in something. Uh, mm -hmm. It's going to moisten up the dryness of the Saturnian side, which is about, you know, making dry, cutting decisions that ends things or limits things. Um, so I think um, Venus is going to really try its hardest to, to, to bring about a, you know, at least a beginning of a step forward. And this, I feel, is partly introduced by the first eclipse in Taurus at the end of November. Mm -hmm. I think that's going to crack open a whole lot of intensity um, under Venus's management that's going to say, right, we need to get away from screens, away from the air, and back to the earth, back to mm -hmm. some grounded, solid, um, tangible outcomes, uh, you know, as, as a, a future goal, like as, as the, you know, the next two-year plan, you know, as the eclipses move there. So that's going to be really illuminating to see what happens uh, in Taurus there. And I believe this retrograde, uh, this whole retrograde 40-day thing, um, it's really going to, even though it's in Capricorn, I think we're going to see a lot of the Taurians out there, whether you have Taurus angular or planet, strong planets in Taurus, they're the ones that are really going to be feeling this, I feel. Yeah, there's, yeah, I know, I'm, I'm raising my hand too, like, I'm going to be, I have, it, uh, I have key planets hitting that. Um, yep. 
But I think you're absolutely right, Shu. And especially since this episode's coming out at the beginning of November, you know, keep in mind that around November 19th, give or take, when we have that, uh, our first lunar eclipse in the, you know, the Taurus Scorpio axis, while Venus is already in um, Capricorn and just happens to be in a trine to Uranus as well. So she's going to get a Uranian message on this, uh, or she is going to be giving <laughs> perhaps mm. the, uh, no, she doesn't give, she receives, right? I mean, we talked about this already. <laughs> she's going to be, re- she's sitting back. She's listening to what Uranus has to say, uh, but Uranus is actually listening to her because it isn't in, in her sign. But the, I think there is going to be a powerful, uh, you know, something culminates at this time that even though it's got that wrap up energy of a lunar eclipse, it is very much a foreshadowing of so much that's going to take place in a very tangible level. Cause you know, we're talking about Cardinal air. We're talking about, mm. uh, or not air. We're talking about Cardinal, uh, earth and, that the cardinal earth gets things done as a Capricorn moon. If I'm not doing something, if I'm not in action, if I'm not like tangibly like manifesting something, you know, that things start to go wrong. Things, things get really chaotic up in here. And so the stuff is going to happen. You're going to see it, see it. You're going to feel it. Um, it is not going to be able to be ignored. And, um, I think that this first, like you said, this lunar eclipse is going to be on the 19th of November, a, a very much a precursor for what we're in well, for. Look at, look at where Venus is in this eclipse on the 19th too. It's very close to the degree that Venus is going to station yes. direct. direct. So, yeah. so whatever you're going through from the 19th on <laughs> there's it's connected yeah. to that retrograde cycle and the and then the the stationing um and then eventually the next you know set of eclipses will have when the nodes start to, you know becoming uh shift over to taurus and scorpio so mm-hmm. a lot a lot going on time, pray, pray yeah. for my taurus moon on the midnight yes. please <laughs> we'll, we'll pray for you Spencer. um <laughs> Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. It's also interesting to think about for the upcoming lunar eclipse uh, to just, you know, having Venus at that station degree point, which will be activated when Venus stations direct at the end of uh, basically January 29th, give or take some days. Um, but here she is like in that miss sextile with Mars you know, and those two are basically the rulers of the sun and the moon in that lunar eclipse. So there's something much larger to this, this Venus Mars story that plays in with all this too. And a lot of what we were talking about earlier, um, that could be precursors to their conjunctions coming in February and March of next year too. So there is a, you know, fixed signs. They, they play, they play a long game there. This is a, this is a long story that's playing out and having her in that cardinal energy plays into something fresh coming in with the Uranian component that I think is going to be pieced out over a longer period of time. Mm. Well, and, and could I have one more thing to that, uh, that eclipse that we have here? Um, so look at the trine that you have from Venus to Uranus. So something new coming in at that lunar eclipse, even though it's a fruition, right? The, the interesting thing to me is that second decan of Capricorn is all about the the building from a blueprint. So we may have a blueprint that we're gonna want to lay out at this point. And then we get to the point where we're trying to, we've built something and then we have to uh, 
administrate it in the third decan. Mm -hmm. But what I see is we've built something, but then we, we find that we aren't administrating it quite right. And we have to review how we are uh, managing what we've built. And we're going to retrogate all the way back to the blueprint and say, well, maybe we need mm. to change the blueprint and to move forward again. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Yes, totally. It, it really, that, that makes a lot of sense to me as far as like a gift, receiving a gift of power or a gift of status or a gift of resources. And then you're like, what do I do with all this? How do I manage it? And then, you know, having to really reevaluate it. Having to go back to the drawing board and redesign a few things. Yeah, for sure. After after seeing Pluto and after going to Pluto and Pluto saying, hang on, you haven't. Wait a minute. Yeah. yeah, Hold on. It reminds me of that part of the Inanna story where she's, all right, I'm leaving the underworld. I've got my ticket to get out of here. And they're like, hang on a second. Nobody leaves here without sending a replacement. So, you know, that's that Pluto talking to Venus. And so she's going back. (laughs) Well, it also makes me think of like the image that came to mind is like, oh, we got the blueprint and we're about to break ground. Right. And you start digging and then you find something in the soil and you're like, oh, well, there's some contamination or we hit a pipe. There's a big big, uh, concrete sort of block underneath. That's something that, yeah, that we have to jackhammer through. Of course, my Scorpio mind went, I'm like, there's a mass grave. I'm like, what? (laughs) No, totally. It's like Ghostbusters, right? You're like you're digging and you you unleash like the portal to hell or something. The the portal to hell. Yeah, that's funny. I mean, it's not funny, but it's good. Yeah, good luck with that. Um, You know, what's interesting to me, too, too, when we were just setting up how this whole lunar eclipse is going to go down and it's going to preface the uh, Venus retrograde story. Uh, We keep coming back to Venus and Mars meeting um, later in February and when they do end up meeting, they meet around the time that the North node makes it to that eclipse point where the moon Mm. at 27 degrees Mm. of um, Taurus. So, so here they are in that miss sextile, but over time when they finally meet um, for the first time, because they're going to meet once again in March, which just happens to be at zero degrees Aquarius, which is a huge point because that was our Jupiter Saturn conjunction. And it was also, uh, where Mars and Saturn seeded their cycle too. So, um, there, there's so much behind Venus and Mars. We could do a whole podcast on just this, what this is. Um, but any thoughts and, on, on, well, that is actually the second conjunction there that you've got on the screen that, yeah. because, so that's going to link to a story that essentially started in July 13th this year. That was the beginning of that synodic cycle. So, um, it, it's a huge, bigger story involved there. And that happened in Leo. So it was square to these, um, eclipse points. Mm. So there was, um, there is something really big brewing here, like a 32-year mm. cycle kind of big, um, and it's all happening very subtly because they're these sort of smaller, faster-moving planets, and we often neglect to take notice of them because they, they're so swift, right? Um, but there's like the, you know, the oracle is spoken in these charts in terms of like all these alignments of the, the eclipses, all the lining up to the Venus retrograde or the direct um, points lining up with the Saturn Uranus, which is already a structure or systemic sort of building um, signature in there. There is something really big brewing and we're going to really see the face of it 
like for real during this 40 days. Do you think that that's a resolution of the, the failed sextile around that period of time? The first, you know, Venus, Mars, is that a relief point? Um, I don't know. I wouldn't call it a failed sextile, I don't think. I mean, I'm still quite early in this research, so um, it just, I think it's uh, the fact that the beginning point is a longer story, that there there needs to be, I guess, more things that need to be added. Uh, there's, It's like you've started cooking something and you've realised mm. you've forgotten the eggs, so you've got to run back out and get the eggs and come back in it's it's a it's a postponed sextile because uh you know they Mm, actually make a sextile it will eventually make a sextile in august of 2022 um which so we're looking at really long timelines here this cycle i think the the first square is where you'll see um you know like the tangible uh results of these three conjunctions and i think that's like another seven years away or something like that so we're talking very big cycles here. And we also didn't mention there's a Venus Kazemi in, in between the the uh, retrograde and the the yeah. whatever. Yeah, one of the one there. of the biggest parts of uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of her cycle. Well, we kind of we kind of alluded to it with her yeah. uh, her uh, the underworld journey there. Yeah. Um, but Lally, let's talk about um, that. So basically, the inferior conjunction to the Sun that Venus will have will be on. Uh, um, oh, I have that Eighth. wrong date. Uh, yes. January eighth. Um, or January 9th, I think in, in Australia, and it will happen at 18 degrees and 43 minutes of Capricorn. And so, um, who, who wants to, who wants to, who wants a piece of this? Who wants a piece of this conjunction? I can't, I can't <laughs> see that on the chart. Are you? Oh, just kidding. It's, it's coming. It's coming. Okay. We're getting, we're getting there. I'm like, I can't, it's like, can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Is that the, uh, is that, is that what happens here? There, there we go. go. There it is. So maybe this might be a good time to talk about this, the geometry of the Venus cycle because that conjunction, that Kazemi, is essentially the um, beginning of a whole new 584-day cycle of Venus. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, that's quite significant. Um, and um, the Venus cycle happens to start only in five signs, and those five, five signs will eventually process backwards Um, you know, after like 100 conjunctions or something like that. But currently Capricorn is one of the signs in which um, Venus starts its cycle. So in the middle of this Venus retrograde period, we have a sense of renewal or um, this idea of a resolution of sorts or like a way forward that's something to look forward to. Um, And that then sets a whole tone for the next one and a half years, and that tone is that Capricorn tone, so mm. the Saturnian structure building, um, managing fears, um, having action, taking action, looking at you know limitations, looking at future possibilities. But it's this idea of the longevity that we have to think of when we look at this Venus cycle in Capricorn. We're building something for the future. Mm. And it's infusing purpose into Venus. It, it, you know, it's in the furnace, right? Like you, like the medieval astrologers would say, when when Venus is uh, entering the retrograde, 
uh, onto the beams. It's like someone who is coming onto their sickbed and then it gets infused with purpose at the solar conjunction. And then it rises from its sickbed when it emerges from under the beams. Mm -hmm. I think it's fascinating that this is the second decan of Capricorn too, um, because this is a, the daimon or spirit associated with this is hygieia, which is roughly translates mm, to hygiene. hygiene. Too. <laughs> so, so we have both like infrastructure conversations we're having about yes. how to move forward with new energy and, you know, be climate responsible, but also how are we going to move forward from the, the pandemic and move forward into whatever the next chapter of social um, integration is because I think everybody exactly. right now is like, what the hell are we doing? Exactly. You know, um, and this may be this may be a moment too where we get some clarity on that. I, I really think about mm -hmm. the sun as clarity and awareness as well. Mm -hmm. And Venus being the natural significator of cleanliness and purity, and go. it being on the hygiene. I mean, I mean, this was the date that I actually had elected to do my journey, my my underworld journey. You know, to Perfect. to yeah, to to really go down and clean out the crud so that I can receive what I need to receive for this, you know, essentially a, an eight-year activation because it's going to be another eight years before Venus then comes back to Capricorn again. Well, I think that there is a very potent, you know, transmission that is going to happen basically from about the last couple days of December through the first 10 days or so of January. Cause what's going to happen is uh, Mercury is going to meet Venus and Pluto around the same time. And we always know, you know, Mercury is the, the cycle pop. He's the one that he, he is the deliverer of Pluto's message and bringing mm -hmm. it up to the top and being like, okay, well, this is what's going on down below. And so I need to, uh, you know, if we have to uproot something or, you know, purify it, as we talk about these healing processes, there is something about Mercury meeting Venus and Pluto from like the 28th, the 29th, the 30th. Um, and it, which is the end of the year, you know, this is a time when we are thinking about like, what's 2022, 2020, <laughs> you're bringing, um, you know, what are our new year's resolutions? We think about stuff like that. And we're always like resolving to purify ourselves in some way or do better, you know, very Capricorn types of things. Um, but it then goes on to get to the point that we were just talking about as Venus goes into the furnace of the sun for that illumination and that purifying. But at the same time, Mercury is essentially carrying on that message to Saturn, which mm. it meets Saturn to almost meet Saturn and then retrograde. So mm. Mercury is slowing to station to give us something else to think about, <laughs> you know, uh, around January 13th. So there's something about that element taking place and whatever message was seeded by Venus and Pluto um, at that time, if that makes sense, it, you know. Mm. Well, Definitely. Well. And, and before, you know, just before that period when Mercury is making its, uh, you know, transferring, you know, the light or, you know, from Pluto to Venus, the moon's also in Scorpio. So uh, that just adds that other element of having to go, you know, to unearth, to go deep, to... Um, visit those that the, the things and the people that we've 
you know, consciously, purposely hidden. And it's the last you. gasp of of Jupiter in, in Aquarius before it moves mm, into Pisces. True. Too, right? <laughs> and you remember yes. the last time Jupiter went into Pisces, everyone was like, the pandemic's over. Take your mask <laughs> off. Go party. You know, like, because it wasn't hanging out with Saturn anymore. It was just like, freedom, you know? And yeah. so, I, you know, I think that there may be a similar type of sentiment, although the, the only problem I see with that is that you still got a pure Saturn in Aquarius, and then now you have a fairly pure Jupiter in Pisces, right? They're really in their places where they're like, this is where I want to be. And, and they are not witnessing one another and they are not talking mm -hmm. to one another anymore. So it, I, I feel like there's still this going to be this push and this pull of like, be responsible go live your dreams, you know, like this, it's kind of <laughs> a little weird, you know? Yeah. yeah. And that Jupiter is, is also the, um, Venus will be the exalted ruler of Pisces there when that happens and she's retrograde. So maybe this, uh, push to, you know, open up the world will have a bit more of a conscious, uh, mm -hmm. consideration around that, you know, we may yeah. still go out with the masks. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and it could be what we were talking about before, like the coming to order or some sort of structure or unifying some sort of societal, uh, you know, purpose of how Truth. we're trying, you know, mm -hmm. like what is this? And then now that we have this and we've come this far and, and granted, you know, we were talking about Venus coming back to station at the end of January and coming into that, like, proximity with Uranus again and redoing the blueprint, um, we probably are going to have enough at that point where we will allow that Jupiter to then, you know, open things up. You know, it's, it's new year's. Once again, it's like the turning of the year, you know, people want to get out, they want to celebrate, they want, you know, um, and so it's not the end all be all, but maybe there's enough structure or, um, a framework of how we can do this, or people just take, the initiative on their own and, and, you know, like I think take control. People, I think you're giving people way too much credit. What I, what I see is I, I tend to do that. throwing any caution to the wind and just being like, I'm going to do what I want. And I don't care if it has consequences. And that that's something that I, I'm nervous about for this period of time, to be honest. Yeah, I could, I could, totally, I could to pour, see that too. I'm sorry to pour too much cold water on it, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> like I just took a giant Saturnia dump on that, on that plan. <laughs> <Like>. <laughs> oh, well, she, she, you know, Mercury, Venus, Pluto all together. We don't, we don't see, we don't see the, uh, the taintedness until maybe the sun part comes around or, or the mercury retrograde comes around in mid you know, uh, January. I would, I would caution too. The, I, the, the only reason I say that is because very shortly after that, a, a few weeks after Saturn's going to be making its heliacal set, which is the end of a, of a, of a Saturnian cycle where basically all hell breaks loose for a period of time. Like that, the last Saturn uh, setting was when we had the Capitol riots in the United States. Mm -hmm. So all order is kind of like, ah, there's no more order until it gets refused into the sun. And then when it emerges again, order returns. And mm -hmm. we saw that play out with Capitol riots, like, you know, like the arrests and things like that. And then the, the fallout after that, when Saturn made its helical rise with a whole new Saturn cycle as well. So it's not only a new Venus cycle, but a, a new Saturn cycle is coming pretty soon too. And I don't know. It's just really interesting that I really love the fossus moments of when a planet mm. emerges from the beams and goes under the beams. Cause it's 
man, it's those, huge, isn't it? It's really, yeah. It's it, mm. I'm it's really surprised we haven't uh, highlighted that more as an astrological community because it's you can really see, especially with a planet like Saturn, communal events happening in the collective um, that are really important, that are really like you know universal and things like that. Um, I don't know if it's going to be as poignant with Venus emerging. It may be more personal potentially, but um, I'm sure we'll see some collective things as well. Um, but it's, yeah, but it, go ahead. was um, Jupiter in uh, Pisces at that, that last facets? Mm, I, I think it was still in Aquarius, wasn't it? Yeah, it was in Aquarius, mm. yeah. So maybe the fact that Jupiter's in Pisces this time might, like, you know, reaffirm what you were thinking, like it probably won't as intense uh, and completely out of control as the capital um, riots. I hope then. so. We still have to yeah. get through the Mars Saturn square this fall. <laughs> well, <laughs> we <laughs> so many things to get through. Um, and I know, and of course we, we, there's many people that live all everything. over, all over the world. Um, but as we pointed out earlier with the whole U S story that's going down and we're leading into the U S's Pluto return and, uh, the U S is actually in a Venus perfection year, just like Shu and I, oh <laughs> um, so it adds to the story of what's going down here, uh, in the United States. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, I I'm, I'm airing on the, just being rather conservative, um, at this time, you know, with things like money and resources, um, supplies, not to say that everything's going to go to pot per se, but I think that there are some interesting shifts that are going to take place with, um, finances and the supply chain and figuring all that out when we already have a backup, um, having the Saturn Uranus square take place, um, having, uh, just, it just having some, some structural situations that have to do with very basic necessities, um, and, and money situations. And so I would just err on the side of, you know, just be, just being cautious with, with resource and taking your time, um, and being wise about it, I guess. Yeah. And that's what Venus in Capricorn is good with. Um, it's got the limits of Saturn to be able to curb that desire. Um, because yes. we know Venus just likes, gets carried away with wanting so much and needing this and that. So, you know, it's going to curb that consum- consumption a little bit more to be able to be more frugal and look at the long-term, the long-term mm. resources that you actually need. Definitely. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, okay. Well, it's funny. We had an outline here of all different things to talk about. And we did, we kind of did like a, a roundabout of, of all different areas to see where we ended up, uh, where it took us. Um, now, do you think we should maybe let's summarize it and give some any additional advice, or did we miss anything? Sure, we could talk about all types of things forever, but thoughts? Yeah, well, one thing I think is important that we haven't spoken about much is the very symmetrical eight year repetition of yes. retrograde. Yes. So, I mean, for personally, for people, if they want to try and foresee what may come, you can actually look back to exactly eight years ago, literally within a couple of days. Um, and that I think I did prepare the actual dates. So that was eight years ago was December the 22nd, 2013. Venus was retrograding at 28 Capricorn there. So think of that time and it will have 
um, similar themes and passions that were being set up then. Um, but you're not just continuing. It's I don't think it's a continuation thing, but more like a thematic um, idea, like a, 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 a yeah a theme that you know you may be undergoing a similar archetypal experience to, and you can keep going back. So 16 years ago, it was actually on the 25th of December, uh, 2005. Um, 24 years ago, it was the 27th of December, 1997. So this retrograde is essentially the Christmas retrograde. Like it always happens around <laughs> Christmas time. <laughs> so, yeah, maybe, <laughs> so maybe think of the presents you got at these times. Maybe we might have been a bit skint for Christmas these years. But <laughs> um I think it's, I think it's fascinating when we, cause we pulled the chart back up here to look at late 2013 and early January, 2014. Um, and it's fascinating to me that the last time the Capricorn situation happened, Venus went direct on Pluto versus this time where Venus is stationing retrograde on Pluto. Mm. So, um, I mean, that's just interesting to think about like the setting up of the Venus cycle in Capricorn and, and power dynamics that come up with, with Pluto and even what might be revisited in oneself that started then that then is now like somehow it's like oh it's gone through its cycle it's seated it's decayed and now i'm looking at it from this whole new different decan of an angle <laughs> um mm-hmm. and just happens to be stationing pretty close actually to where it's going to station direct again it's stationed at 13 um yes uh capricorn when it went direct in 2014 and pluto was at yeah. 12 so I think every eight years it moves backwards or forwards by two degrees or something like that, mm. two degrees and two days or something like that. Is yeah, it's, it's pretty form. close. Yeah. Yeah. It's very symmetrical. So um, so for people that might be wanting wondering what this retrograde season might bring, so definitely reflect on those dates. Also reflect on the houses that are being impacted here, generally Capricorn is the house, but I think Taurus would also be a house to look for because of the eclipses that Venus rule. Yeah. Um, and I do find the angularity of the chart like really powerful uh, in terms of it showing up strongly. You know, that more and more I I, I study charts, you know, the, these angular planets just play such a big role. So I think if you have, if you have cardinal angles, like that's definitely going to be speaking to you really loud this retrograde Melissa and Spencer uh-huh. what what who um yeah. there it's a uh, it's interesting to me too back in this uh this Venus retrograde in Capricorn back then um how we had the nodes about to leave Taurus and Scorpio at that time too so there was and we're about to switch into that I didn't just side notes that I'm looking at, you know, yeah, the astrologer mind that's like, oh, wow, look at that. What was <laughs> all these patterns? It's a great point about angularity, though. Like my, my partner has Capricorn on an angle and already themes are starting to come up yeah. that are very big for for her growth and evolution and values and things like that. But it, it's more affecting her than it is me who has a fixed cross right with the leo ascendant and things like that so if you have capricorn on an angle you are going to feel this pretty pretty intensely um mm-hmm. and, and, and like you said it's it's uh providing for the taurus and the libra house as well so um mm, jacobs right. in those areas 
And I think the challenge of this sort of angular configuration here being the cardinals is that you're going to want to take action. Yeah. I think my advice would be to not react, like to just sit on it for a bit longer, mm. maybe go more to that Taurus style, uh, you know, that trines your angles and, and yeah, not try not to react to things that come up immediately because you're going to have time to do a full proper review. Um, as you can see, there's lots of big cycles all converging and climaxing at the same time over the same couple of months. You know, the first time the the, the issues rear it, rears it, it, their heads is not going to be a call for action. It's mm-hmm. going yeah. to, yeah. It's usually the most intense feeling mm-hmm. of it like you know you yes. feel calm especially when it's an eclipse <laughs> it's especially, yeah especially when it's an eclipse and then the station happening on pluto a little while you know like a uh, little over uh, basically actually a month to the day after uh because the eclipse is on the 19th of november and then being a stations on the 19th of december right it's like literally a I think a month apart. And, and through November, you're, we're going to have oppositions from the sun, Mars, and Mercury all to Uranus. And mm-hmm. the shocks, I, I, I'm, I don't know about the two of you, but I'm, it never ceases to amaze me how Uranus can still surprise me, even when you see it coming, <laughs> you know, as an astrologer, you're like, oh, wow, I'm yes. still surprised that, that that I did not see that manifestation coming, you know, on some yeah. level. Well, because it, yeah. it, it, that's the thing is it's like, you can't, you can't see it. You like, yeah, right. well, you, the only time you can see it is if you do it. <laughs> you do yeah. you, you play Uranus, but when you know, like you think you get your no, you brace yourself for the impact, but it comes at you in a totally different form. Yeah. Um, but yes. it, having the cardinal energy too, and to play off Shu's point of like sitting with it for a second, and maybe you know, like realizing you have a whole underworld journey to go through, and there is mm-hmm. time to assess such things, um, and the action factor of cardinal signs is, and remembering that cardinal signs, and especially when we're talking about Capricorn and Cancer, because these are the extreme cardinal signs. These are the the solstice cardinal signs, which means they're the most extreme of the day and night. So they tend to pivot with even more like, what, what did you do? You know, like, where are you going? Like, Us, throw it all around, today. you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so just be, if you, if you feel called to like do an about face, basically, that is so this, that could be potentially very destructive because that's the thing with Pluto too, is like Pluto destroys, but is Pluto destroying or are you playing Pluto's role within your, mm. you know, your life um, by just, uh, you know, throwing the table up and being like, I'm done, you know, just because mm. you're, you're feeling the intensity of something that you have to get through that could be very trying because, you know, when we talk about Pluto, we talk about very instinctual qualities that come to the surface that can be very hard to deal with, especially if you're, uh, if you're not a seasoned Pluto. And even when you are, when you're, cause I consider myself a seasoned Pluto person with the chart that I have, <laughs> but it's still, it still gets you. It takes you to a place that you're just like, Oh, my God, you know, like, and then have, yeah. So take your time with it. Realize there is a blessing to whatever you seek. 
maybe crumbling before you or some just intense emotion that come up that, you know, it's just a purification process. And within the purification, Mm -hmm. what happens? That's the beauty of Pluto is it gives you the treasure or the gem. And I'm talking about, you know, the inner journey that, you know, I don't know what's going on in the world, but (laughs) we look for our gems, you know, within ourselves throughout this. And we probably need to take a leaf out of that sextile to Neptune there if we're talking out of planets, that yes, yes, we do need to just surrender and and to receive and to be able to attract. Yeah, maybe the situations we might not be comfortable with, but they may hold the key to unification as a whole. And and I will add that the, the I Ching is really gives us an instruction as to how to deal with a shock. There is a hexagram number 51 Ooh. that is called shock. And really it's the lightning bolt of awareness. And, and sometimes we shock and then we laugh afterwards. This is part of what they talk about in the 51 is you've been, every sense is like elevated when you experience a shock and you, you, you are shocked into awareness. But what's, what I think is, most fascinating is the hexagram that comes afterwards. And I think this is what she was alluding to when she was talking about this as well as hexagram number 52 is called stillness. It is the mountain. And when you, when you experience a shocking experience, I think the best thing to do is to, to try to stabilize and to uh, evaluate and you don't have to take movement right away. Right. And like, like she was saying, it's like, you're going to get, more information. Like I think that in the Hellenistic system, when a planet goes retrograde, they thought of it as retaking the witness stand to give further testimony. So there's certain parts of the story that you just don't have all the information yet. And that's okay. You have to live into the answers and you become like the mountain number 52 and, mm. you know, just become this, <laughs> this rock. <laughs> and what's more mountain than Capricorn? I mean, exactly. come on, you know, like this yeah. is, that is the symbol of Capricorn. Maybe Capricorn. we should all just be doing the mountain pose in yoga for go. the whole 40 days. There you go. How, <laughs> how long can you hold the mountain pose right. while you sleep, while you eat? You're, yeah, that's funny. Um yeah, and see. speaking of which, you know, you can treat these 40 days as a ritual, you know, a 40-day ritual yes. in some kind of way that reminds you of like the process that we're all going through collectively and you can make it your own uh, in however way that's comfortable with you. So, you know, some people work with it ma- uh, magically or it could just be like maybe a 40-day journaling project or, a, you know, a 40-day, um, you know, or go wander Stay. in the desert for 40 days. Yeah, that's right. Go sit in a cave. <laughs> Definitely bring some water with you. Bring some protection because yeah, uh, Pluto's not going to be kind when you sit, you sit off on Pluto. You know, you come back a bag of bones, you know. <laughs> Maybe eventually you'll hear the voice of the divine. No, I, yes, that's right. that's right. When Neptune sextiles, you'd be like, oh, what? Something painful uh, out there. So to give, uh, I know we're kind of all over the place with what transits are going to take place. So I'm just going to sum up some dates that we talked about to kind of like give a little, you know, cohesion. Um, so I'm like, 
what am I trying to say? I don't even have it written out cohesively for me. Uh, but we started off with just being wanting to be aware of the Taurus uh, lunar eclipse that's going to come on November 19th, give or take a, a days around it, because there seems to be some sort of Venusian precursor uh, that starts a much longer story there. Um, and of course, she's going to move into Capricorn to begin with November 5th. See, I'm already going back in time. Um, so that's where that's where our journey starts. Then we have the eclipse on the 19th. Um, and then we actually, she's she, going to get a taste of her making a sextile to Neptune, which we introduced that a little bit um, on November 30th. So if you kind of want to get a flavor for what Neptune's going to bring to the story, check that out. Um, and then she's going to station retrograde on December 19th where she has a uh, conjunction to Pluto. See, jumping ahead. Can't do this right. December 11th. <laughs> All right. December 11th, she's going to meet Pluto. Pay attention because that's the first and she's slow. She's going to be hanging out with Pluto this whole time. She's going to meet him or her or it on the 11th and basically slow down to station on the 19th and then retrograde back on Christmas on the 25th. So basically from December 11th, through the 25th, it is just Venus and Pluto together in a cozy little sleeping bag out in the desert. So get used to that. That slow grind, hey? Oh, <laughs> oh shoot, you're taking me naughty places. Um, <laughs> Spencer just looked away. Spencer's got a story um, about that one. After hours. <laughs> Astrology. Uh, yeah, I know. It's like this is yeah, this is when we just went into after hours, the slow grind of Venus and Pluto. Um, but then after she moves on uh from around Christmas, then we get to that Mercury conjunction we were talking about where Mercury meets Venus and Pluto on the 29th and the 30th. Um, there. And then she's going to make another sextile to Neptune on January 5th, right before she makes her inferior conjunction to the sun. And this, this burning process we're talking about on the 8th of January or the 9th, if you're in Australia. Um, and then she's going to go ahead and station direct on January 29th. Uh, where she will then start to regain movement. And that's when the Mars piece starts to come back in. Um, and she makes a conjunction, that second conjunction that she was talking about, because, right, we have three conjunctions they're making throughout July through March. Um, and that is going to be on February 16th. Uh, and then she will go on to make her final conjunction with Pluto on March 3rd. And then her final conjunction with Mars on March 5th. So there is, you can see this really elongated story uh, that we painted here, but those are the specific dates for it. Whew. That was great. Yeah. Great it's a, summary. It's, yeah. it's going to be a fabulous Christmas, in other words. It's a fabulous <laughs> Christmas. So, okay, you know, I always ask this question if there was one word, if there's one word that you had to sum up this Venus retrograde cycle. You each get a word, or I always give, you know, you can say a combination of words if it's really, really tough, but. Oh God. Well, can it be a little piece of advice instead? And then I'll, <laughs> I'll extract the word out of it. I'll okay. extract the word. I like to, I just think, you know, sometimes it's good to take things into your own hands uh, and I would say maybe plan some time 
to do a journey with Venus. You know, bring yourself to Pluto, bring yourself to the underworld and and seek the answers there. Um, so journeying, I think. Journeying, yes. A good, my advice, yep. I also heard submit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah, submit, you know. Submit to the journey. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just get on with it, basically. Yeah. Yeah, the lambs to the slaughter. No. Yes. <laughs> oh, Spencer. Mm. The one word thing is hard for me too. Yeah. It's hard for everyone. I mean, it's hard for me. Right. I, I, I just enjoy watching the look on people's face when I say it. You know, I, I, I think that I'm going to take a word from Capricorn 3. Because, you know, it, administration, I think, is a mm. word that really pops out to me because it's, it's about um, organizing a, a system and being able to, uh, I don't know, it, it, being able to, to utilize the resources we have in a way that is functional and skeletal. So it's, a, it's something that's supporting us or reviewing how we administrate the, the the systems in our life and the way that we utilize our resources and organize our material reality. Yeah. Mm. Amen to that. Amen to that. Mm. The guru has spoken. The, the guru has spoken. He's <laughs> uh, gone into his cave. Yeah, the high priestess. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, I feel like mine just goes along with the term with value and uh, reconstructing what that, what that looks like in this day and age for yourself, for the world. And I think all the three of us together have put all that into one little package because you have to journey, you have to like, you know, succumb to the journey to get to what the value actually is to then administer it into the form that you want your, your life and your existence to be in these potent beginnings. Yes. It's like the Negredo Albedo, Rubido. It's like we've <laughs> summarized that all three phases of the um, alchemical journey. Perfect. 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 <laughs> yes, we we are going to be alchemizing that gold. We're going to be taking that, reworking that copper. We're going to put yes, it with that lead, right. which is so funny lead, because that is right. actually part of the alchemical. I mean, we didn't even talk about this, but, um, lead, you know, yeah. Saturn's lead and Venus's copper and they, you balance the two with each other. So. so you might not get gold, you might get copper, which is not as valuable of a metal, so quote unquote, but it has a lot of use. It has a lot of utility, right? Yeah. So you yeah. may not be alchemizing into the most precious metal, but you're going to find some use out of this cycle and it's going to be... Uh, a conduit for energy. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And weigh yes. your weigh your copper to your ve- or to your lead. You know, you got too much lead, you got to introduce the copper. You got mm-hmm. too much copper, that lead is going to stop you in your tracks. And that is, you know, what does Venus like to do? She likes to balance. She just wants harmony, doesn't she? She just wants everyone to get along. Um, and honestly, Saturn does too. I really I do think, think so. That. Yeah. You know. That's right. Well, actually, one last point. Um, the enjoys Usher's book as well, The Tiny Universe. She talks about Bernardi's table of enmity, and it looks at planetary pairs, and Saturn is always seeking friendship from Venus. Mm-hmm. And I think it seeks that connection that it can't do on its own. It seeks the beauty 
that it wants but can't create. So I think it's a good combination. Yeah. Oh, I love that. All right. Well, those are, those are fabulous ending words because right. The two just want each other. Let's make it work. Um, all right. Yes. That's how, that's so funny. You brought that (laughs) up because that was, that was a, that was a story that came up into my mind with Pluto and Venus was beauty and the beast. Um, yeah. So, all right. Well, where can people, where can people find y'all? It's so great to have you on the program together. It's it's fun to to chat it up. Yeah. So Shu, um, where, where can people find you? What do you got going on? What do you got to share? What have I got to share? Well, they can find me at intercycle.com at my website. Um, best thing to do is just sign up to my newsletter and keep up to date with the talks and presentations that I'll be giving. I think I've got one more talk this year on December 4th with Oprah. I'll be um, looking at Fedaria in the early childhood um, phases, so from mm-hmm. up to the ages of 10 and looking at uh, the Fadari periods and how we can best support our children undergoing these changes. So that's what I've got going on. And then I'll be checking out for a month, I think, to be going on my journey. The journey. (laughs) (laughs) So I, yeah, this will be, yeah, very much of me, you know, checking out and checking out of my 30s and into my 40s in that same time welcome too. To so yeah, welcome to the club <laughs> and bon voyage. <laughs> welcome to Saturn know, Fedaria like, land. <laughs> I know. Oh, know, I know. So I, I don't know if I'll about, make yeah. it out alive, but... Um, oh, but, yeah. you will. You <laughs> so will. if I'm not out by 40 days, please send some help. <laughs> <laughs> we'll find you in the bush. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right. Well, wonderful. Of course, I'll share shoes information as I'll share Spencer's and Spencer, tell people where they can find you and tell them what you got going on. Cause I know you got something going on. I've been talking about it. You can, you can find me at spencermichaud.com. Um, and I have a YouTube channel, Spencer Michaud astrology. Uh, so check me out on those places. I also have a newsletter It's a great way to keep up to date, but I've been really focusing on um, the decans and I'm doing a workshop on the decans of Scorpio coming up on November the 13th, which is a Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern. So you can sign up for that. And then I'll be doing a decans of Sagittarius on, I believe, December something after that. So you can find, you can find, <laughs> it's the, late at night. You can find that out in the, in the, uh, in the newsletter and on my channel and all my social medias and things like that. I'll be announcing that as well. Um, yeah, and I do readings and stuff too. So I think all of us here can help you through this, uh, retrograde cycle. If you need some guidance through the, the, the underworld depths. Oh yes. Yes. That's what we are here to play the cycle pump. Uh, and I will say, you know, you got to check out, uh, Spencer's upcoming webinars because he's already done one that was fabulous on Libra and, you know, just have to say, I have a little discount code if you want to sign up, uh, which is EP20, and you can get 20% off either the, uh, well, any one of the webinars, or you can get the fall bundle, which he's bundling all the Libra, Scorpio, and Sagittarius together. So, you know, like you've heard him here, you know how thorough he is. He gets, he gets that job done. And I like listening to his voice. Yes, I can vouch for those webinars too. I'm learning a lot from them, Spencer. So thank you for putting it's a deep dive. It's it's a combination of myth, of tarot, of daimonic spirits. Um, 
We really do a deep dive. It's not just the the decans. It's a kind of a, I like to call it integrative divination. So we're looking at things through a lot of different lenses and leaning pretty heavily on people like Liz Green and Austin Kopic and Demetra George and, you know, source texts and stuff. So I'm having a lot of fun and really, you know, enjoying the process and learning a lot myself through these deep dives. So mm-hmm. join that, us. That's what matters. Yeah. All right. Well, where can you find me? You can find me at energeticprinciples.com. And of course, I always do a blog post, which I'll be sharing shoes offerings and also Spencer's. Uh, and you, there'll be a direct link if you want to sign up for those webinars and the discount code and all that jazz. Uh, you can also find me on social media, Energetic Principles. Um, and do I, I have nothing going on and that's perfectly okay with me. (laughs) I'm going through a lot of 12th house transits, you know, I'm just trying to make it through right now. So just to be honest, I'll get back to you at that. Um, but actually I will have a, uh, Oh, I'm excited that I'm, I'll be back for Sagittarius season with a longtime favorite guest who has not joined me on the podcast for quite some time. My dear friend, Jack Marsh, who is just, uh, I love him so much. Uh, I can't wait to catch up. And I get to catch up on air with him, with you guys. Talk all about Sagittarius and uh, clip season. So definitely tune back in to that. Um, So what else? You know, leave a review where you listen to this podcast because it helps it be seen further. The more people comment on what it is and what it entails and how much they like it. Uh, Share it with a friend. Spread the good word, you know, because sharing is caring. Um, And really, you know, if you want to support, you can always uh, contribute a tip to my tip jar or book a consultation with yours truly because that helps keep this podcast funded. So, all right. Shoe. Spencer, always a pleasure. I can't wait to have each of you back together, separate, however we do this. Thank you again. Menage à trois. I'm all, we were so spicy. This Venus Pluto is <laughs> just, woo! Hello. <laughs> Everybody's blushing now. <laughs> I was trying to think of like a play on words for like a, a, a like a throwing astro into menage a trois, but menage astro trois, menastro trois, trois. I'm just saying gibberish now. That's a. Oh, I love thank it. you for having us, Mel. This was yes, wonderful. Yes, thank you, Mel. This has been so fun. So hope to be able to do it together again. Absolutely. I can't wait till the next time because you know I want that to happen. So, all right, everyone. Well, thank you for tuning in and listening to the three of us jab, jab. Oh my God, look at that Freudian slip. <laughs> Gab, all about Venus retrograde in Capricorn. We do hope you enjoy your underworld journey. Uh, and as always, may the stars be with you. Mm-hmm.